Hey what's up everybody, thank you for checking this video. If you want to see more, please leave a like and subscribe. But even if you don't, enjoy and happy coding! Welcome everybody to another episode of the Nerd Continuity where we talk about design, development and all the other nerdy stuff that we find online. I'm your host, Alex, and with me, as usual, my co-host, Chris Perko. Hello, Chris. Hello, hello. How are you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. Today is Canada Day here, which is like... I don't know if it's going to be blasphemy to say, but it's probably like Independence Day, like the US Independence <laughs> Day by Canadian. I've like, I don't mm -hmm. know anything about Canadian history. I have to, I have to study for the citizenship. Yeah, I, I don't either, actually. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Like Canada is such a weird country. But yeah, we have this Canada here. Everyone's celebrating. The beautiful thing about Canada is that our holidays are not set on a specific date. Like you have in the U.S. the Independence Day that it's right. always on the 4th, right? So it doesn't matter right. if it happens on a Sunday or Saturday or a Wednesday is the 4th. Here in Canada, yeah. we move the holiday to always hit a Friday or a Monday. So we gain the long weekend, which is... Yeah, that's kind of nice because for us, the 4th this, this year is is on Wednesday, so... You know, I'm off on Wednesday, but I have to work Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. Yeah, so. it's terrible, right? <laughs> kind of weird. Yeah, just yeah. just move it a couple of days and you get a long weekend. So, yeah, right. I love this. Like every every year, holidays end up in that specific week. All the holidays, they always in that specific moment in time of the month, but it's not a set date. So Canada Day is 1st of July. That happened on Sunday, but tomorrow, Monday, it's holiday because it's still Canada Day. We just moved it a day, which is, nice. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> uh, how are you doing? Pretty good. I've been, been busy. I've uh, been working on getting set up to do some live videos. Um, I'm wanting to do a stream hopefully later this week, maybe Thursday or Friday. Um, I've never used like OBS or anything. Mm -hmm. So I was, you know, trying to get like a intro screen and, and figure out all the transitions and everything. So um, it'll probably be a complete failure, but nah, it'll, be, it'll be fun learning experience. So. <laughs> yeah, no. Did you did you notice uh, YouTube released a new feature that you can do a live stream directly from the browser without any third-party software or anything else? Yes, I did. Um, I haven't tried it out because um, from, from first glance, it just seemed like it was like a, a webcam thing. Yes. Uh, so I wasn't sure how well it was going to work with, you know, I want like my webcam to be a small square in the bottom corner while I'm coding. And mm -hmm. uh, so I'm not sure how it holds up against something like OBS that runs on your actual computer. Um, but I mean, it's a cool idea. Yeah, definitely. No, it's super useful if you need to do just a regular live streaming and chatting in front of the camera and that's it. But yeah, OBS gives you the full flexibility of having basically like a directing studio where you can have different mm -hmm. scenes and, as you said, transitions and welcome screens and adapt your camera yeah. left and right. Uh, yeah, I, I use it all the time. Uh, are you going to use um, Elementor US to do the live streaming? Uh, sadly, no, because uh, I'm going to be doing Fitbit development, and they have a simulator that runs the devices on your desktop, which mm. is great for live streaming, uh, but it's only for Mac OS and Windows. Um, and I've read that some people have been getting it to work on Linux, um, and it's in the future set to run on Linux, mm -hmm. um, but it's, you know, it's not open source software, so it's not like I can you know make it faster <laughs> by going and helping out. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, for now, I'll be doing it on, on Windows uh, for the live stream. 
Nice. Awesome. Yeah, it's going to be, I'm sure it's going to be fine. Come on. Like every first <laughs> try of live streaming, it's always a shit show and you're going to have all the possible <laughs> problems that you can think of. You're going to have them all, but I've done many, many live streamings and in, uh, in mm-hmm. every one of them, there's always an issue. Sometimes it's just like, it's okay. It's the technology <laughs> is not there yet. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. I won't, you know, I'll be alone. <laughs> no, don't stress. So what have you up to? Uh, just working, working a lot. Um, I bought my suit for my wedding, like non-tech related news. <laughs> I, nice. I went to, thank you. Yeah. I went to a tailor. I probably, the last time I wore a, a suit or a, I actually owned a suit was when I was 18 for my graduation and that's it. And then, <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, I'm always that guy, like jeans and a t-shirt and that's it. Like I don't even wear a shirt at work. So I'm, I'm the worst and I feel so uncomfortable. Everyone's telling me, like everyone told me that they, they saw me with the suit. It's like, oh, it looks perfect on you. You look beautiful. And <laughs> I, I look like I feel really awkward and really uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, whatever. That's the biggest news of yeah. the past two weeks, but that's it. No, I haven't worn a suit since my wedding, and I feel the same way. I'm, I like, I can't wait to just rip the tie off. Like, I can't breathe. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, probably I'm gonna go for a bow tie with some like nice. I don't know, coatings printed on it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I want to do something <laughs> a little bit quirky, but not too much because otherwise my wife's gonna hate me. So that's a great way to start uh, a marriage. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> But yeah, um, okay, so this episode is going to be a continuation from the episode of a couple of weeks ago, all about Laravel, and we're going to start like taking a look at the nitty gritty and all the like the little details of the uh, folder structure, because the first time that every developer starts using a framework or a CMS or something, and you want to code something for yourself, you open uh, the source code, then you see all these folders, all these files, and every single one of these frameworks has its own structure, has its own like naming conventions for specific folders. So it's it can be really, really confusing. So we're gonna try to analyze the most important folders and uh, give you a sort of like detailed but not too detailed overview of what you should do, which folders you should start getting used to and getting acquainted with and how you should organize your code. So mm-hmm. hopefully it's going to be interesting. It's not going to be like super boring and two guys talking about code that you cannot see. <laughs> so <laughs> It's going to be like really challenging, but it's okay. We're nerds, so we love this shit. Um, but <laughs> before starting, there are a bunch of news and actually would like for you to start, Chris, talking about mm-hmm. uh, Taylor Otwell, the creator of Laravel, and uh, because it's all related to Laracon, the conference that you're attending this year. So tell us a little bit about yes. what this guy did on Twitter. So Taylor is kind of, you know, he he's the, the creator of Laravel and he is known for teasing people with things on Twitter and not revealing much, but just saying things are coming. <laughs> um, and he always likes to give little hints and people just go nuts with their conspiracies and <laughs> what is Taylor up to. And so he tweeted uh, a couple nights ago and he said, uh, uh, most excited for this Laracon US than any other Laracon since Forge launch, which I believe was in 2014. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's super excited about it. And then he said this, 
beach has been calm, but a big wave is about to crash in. So I'm thinking this has to do with what he's calling this package or this, uh, you know, this now another pay service kind of thing like Forge. Um, but yeah, the whole beach and wave thing is kind of a weird thing to throw in there. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and then in a reply, he then said something like, composer require Laravel dank. Get ready. So, <laughs> uh, so this is going to be awesome, apparently, but uh, no clue what it is. Oh, yeah, not at all. And uh, so Wave probably is going to, I don't know, Laravel Wave sounds a little bit too obvious, but it could be like a yeah. service called Laravel Wave. But like thinking about that, what's, what's missing from the Laravel ecosystem? Because Taylor released for like the past years, pretty much once a year release a new service that you can use. So we have Laravel uh, um, Forge, we have Laravel Spark that you can mm -hmm. create and uh, uh, scaffold a, basically a fully functional administration error with integrated Stripe and uh, credit card management, all this kind of stuff. Then we have Laravel Horizon that I think is was the most recent one. Yeah, that was last year and I, to be honest, I've forgotten what it is. I've never used it. <laughs> yeah, and no, I've never used it either. I know that it's like it's uh, like um, a, a dashboard code-driven configuration for Laravel powered by Redis, but I never used mm -hmm. it, so I I don't know any more other than what it's written in the homepage, and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, pretty much every year adds a service to help Laravel developers, and all these services are built in Laravel, uh, built with Laravel, which is, it's like mm -hmm. Laravelception. It's pretty fantastic. Uh, yeah. <laughs> do you think it does that just to showcase how cool Laravel is and all the things that you can build with it? Probably. I think also, you know, he, he knows his framework, his own framework so well that he can probably build a better app in it quicker than trying to do it in something else. <laughs> well, that would be silly, yeah. right? Yeah, I built Laravel, yeah. <laughs> but all my stuff I've done in uh, Code Igniter. <laughs> because, right, yeah. <laughs> because I'm a crazy person. And what is yeah. this Laravel dank for you? What could it be? That, I don't, I mean, since he said composer require, I think it, it's got to be some kind of composer package. And I'm hoping it's a free package, mm -hmm. um, like Spark you had to pay for. Yeah. Uh, but um, I don't know. I, I'm not really sure what's missing from Laravel. Um, I don't know if it's some kind of, like maybe some kind of pre-built spa because, you know, Laravel right now comes more of like an MVC mm -hmm. with view built in. You can swap view out for React. But if you want to build a spa, you have to build this whole spa part yourself. Yeah. So I don't know if it's going to be something like that or uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah, that's true. And just for the audience that don't know, like spa, it means for like a single page application, which mm -hmm. it's kind of like still a little bit convoluted to convert Laravel with a single page application. If you want to use a front end, a fully, just like a JavaScript front end, it's kind of like hard to handling the router of your JavaScript mm -hmm. framework. So if you're using Vue, using Vue router and wire it properly with the Laravel router, it's kind of like uh, a lot of extra steps. But yeah, it's mm -hmm. it's interesting. Uh, also, I guess like last year with 5.6 was released also Laravel Dusk, which is the uh, front end browser test that you can use to test your front end. It's basically unit tests for your browser. And yeah, I, I haven't had a chance to use Dusk because, um, so I tried to use it at work mm -hmm. when I started there a year ago. 
at the time we had no we had very little like unit testing in place yeah. and and no front end tests. So I was like I'm I'm going to use Dusk. Uh, but I ran into a lot of problems because I have to work behind like a VPN and firewall and all uh -huh. this crazy stuff. And Dusk was just, it was throwing so many errors all the time. I just gave up on it. Yes. <laughs> if I was working, you know, just on my local device, it would be fine. I did play around some testing off of the VPN and it worked fine. Mm -hmm. uh, but to get it to work, you know, where we were actually hitting our database and, and everything was just a nightmare. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's not like we implemented the work just because our entire front end it's JavaScript related. So we need mm -hmm. a, we wanted something integrated with Laravel and not using like Jets or Mocha, some external service or third party server to test the front end. But mm -hmm. funny thing is about Dusk is that you need an env.dusk file to specify a fake database. Otherwise, before testing, it's going to I don't know if I did some mistake, but it wipes out your database. So luckily oh. I was testing locally, <laughs> but it wiped out my database when I ran Dusk for the first time and I freaked out for a couple of seconds, <laughs> but it was yeah. just my local, <laughs> luckily it's okay. Uh, and there are other weird things about Dusk, like you have to have a proper configuration when you deploy it because Dusk opens up some specific ports that if you deploy them, if you deploy Dusk on production, it opens like a massive vulnerability and backport on your website, which it's terrible. So it's kind of like ah, dangerous to use if you don't know what yeah. to do, like <laughs> I did. I had no idea what I was doing, but yeah. So yeah, yeah. Laravel <laughs> Dank, we'll, we'll see, we'll see. When When is Laracon again? When is gonna happen? Um, let's see here. It's, uh, I believe the 25th and 26th of July. Nice. Awesome. Is so, this going to yeah, be a few more weeks? Oh, sweet. Are you going to do, yeah. please do a live streaming from your phone. Please do it. Do it. Do yeah. It. <laughs> yeah. I think on the, the second day, um, as soon as I get out of there, I'll probably do a, a live stream and, and, um, I'm, I'm sure by the time I'm on there, every blogger in that place is already going to have their stuff out there for whatever this is that Taylor's talking about. But, uh, but yeah, I'll definitely do a live stream and, and be able to answer some questions from, from anybody who has questions about the event or what I heard and everything. So. I'm going to be there, wait for you and ask you all the questions that I have. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to hijack your live stream. Like, Hey, answer to, Hey, what about this? What about that? You're going to ban <laughs> me and block my user from, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then hopefully next year I'll see you there. Oh yeah. That would be lovely. I would love to come. Uh, it's really expensive, especially from Canada, because the U.S. dollars is mm -hmm. like Canadian dollar is just like a bag of dirt compared to wow. uh, <laughs> to U.S. dollars. Uh, <laughs> just pff, it's a joke, like monopoly money. So yeah, <laughs> but yeah, next year I would love to to come. Um, okay, other news: um, a bunch of like security issues throughout the week, which was like. It kind of like probably I don't know if it's related to Microsoft acquiring GitHub, but it could be something. It was like, bad timing. <laughs> it was really bad timing. But yeah, the Gen two Linux distribution that has its own um, uh, source code hosted on GitHub on a repository was hacked. Was acting in a way that hacker a group of people they don't know they didn't disclose this information, but they were able to gain access to their GitHub repository and they changed mm -hmm. the source code with some ma malware that some like bash script that if you download and install and update your Gentoo uh, 
distribution via GitHub, basically that bash script was going to delete all your files or destroy yeah. your distribution. It's amazing. That's like terrible, terrible thing. Um, the, 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 the maintainers and the developers of Gentoo, they... Uh, it basically they immediately found out after a few hours that this was happening because luckily ev uh, every single commit that they have it's signed with a personal signature so every developer has a personal signature they were able to identify as mm -hmm. these uh, malignous malicious files where they didn't have a signature but a bunch of people they are they have their own Gentoo distribution hooked dynamically automatically to the github repository and it's like every time there's a new release it gets downloaded and your operating system is always updated which for this specific reason <laughs> here it was like yeah. uh, not the best solution but yeah it's interesting that this is happening after like a couple of weeks of the microsoft acquisition <laughs> yeah it, it uh probably just really bad timing but uh you know they did say that they're working with uh, now Microsoft to mm -hmm. you know get an actual timeline and see what ex actually happened and I don't know if we'll ever know but uh, um, but it is interesting to see how Microsoft will handle it versus you know how GitHub may have handled it before the acquisition. Yeah, it's really interesting. Hope they're gonna release more information. Luckily, there like the GitHub repository is just a mirror of the actual full source code, so the original code wasn't corrupted forever which would yeah. be super shitty but <laughs> i think it's kind of the point of the version control even if your code gets yeah. corrupted you can always get it back in some way but yeah, yeah it's, it um, is amazing <laughs> yeah exactly it's like life savior but that's I, that, I guess that's one of the dangers of having like a big organization with so many developers working on the same repository you need to have mirror repositories and you should have like a, probably a detached repository where with a limited access, just the admins, they can access that specific repository and that should be your production repository. When you have thousands of contributors and thousands of collaborators, mm -hmm. everyone pushing code on that repo. So something like that that ever happened to you? I, I saw your tweet about massive major <laughs> fuck ups. <laughs> you were asking questions. Yeah. Yeah, because I was thinking, you know, I, I know I'm not alone. I know pretty oh much God. every developer has done something to, you know, something horrible. I mean, it just, it just happens. And especially when you're new in your career, you, you know, you don't think about making backups or using version control a lot of times, you know. Uh, so, yeah, I, I had, um, I was like three months into my job. Uh, you know, they, they gave me access to all the databases and I thought I was on development. And I did a delete from table. And as it was deleting, I was like, oh, I forgot my where clause. Oh, I'll just, you know, control C, kill it. Like, all right, let's see what I messed up. And then I realized I'm on production. <sighs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that database was being used by all our analysts, by all of our data acquisition people, um, by the system that was actually selling reports to people. It was just, it was everything. Uh, so we had, you know, I, <laughs> I, you know, I owned up to it, but it took our senior engineers quite a while to get the latest backup and roll everything back. And I mean, we had to take the site down and it was not, not a good afternoon. <laughs> and 
what happened to you after that? That was like the day, I don't know, that like publicly humiliated in like a, <laughs> a, a common room, like think, a conference room. I think just everybody knowing that it was me was punishment enough. So, uh, you know, it was kind of just like, a, all right, you learned your lesson, right? I'm like, yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one thing, though, that you can learn from this experience and all the bad experience. It's like you, as far as you're not like a bad person or you're like you don't try to do this with a malicious type of like uh, mm -hmm. reasons behind that, if it's just an accident, you're not going to get fired. If you don't yeah. really do something really terrible that is humanly terrible, you're not gonna get fired because these these uh, accidents happen. And one of the things is that probably is like the 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 lead developer of who was in charge of that or was in charge of mm -hmm. training you felt super bad because you don't give production access to a junior no. developer without having a proper training. So that's not it's not right. totally your fault <laughs> right and that's the whole reason why they had backups and they had a whole plan in place in case you know uh you know what if a hacker did get in and just decide to take mm. down our database you know what you know there, there's always that what if so since they had that in place they were able to get everything back up and running um it took a little while but you know it was not like well, now we're out of out of business. We had to shut down. Everybody's losing their jobs because you know <laughs> because we Chris have, we have no data <laughs> because Chris did it. <laughs> Chris Perka put us out of business. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> it's a great it's a great entry in your resume. Like I was able to mm -hmm. shut down a company in one afternoon. Hire me. Yeah, with one one line of code. <laughs> Hire me. Thank you. Uh, speaking about deleting, accidentally deleting stuff, there's a well-known bug in the WordPress core. It's a massive vulnerability that was discovered seven months ago and it hasn't been patched yet, which why, I don't know, but it's super dangerous. Um, basically, a user found out that one of the many uh, functions, one of the many methods that are inside the WP includes directory and specifically the method that takes care of deleting an attachment when a user in the administration area deletes a media element, that it's an image, a video, audio, whatever. There's a PHP function used that is called unlink, and the PHP function unlink literally like deletes that file. The variable <laughs> that it's passed to that function is not sanitized. And that means that you can literally write SQL injections and you can write HTML or JavaScript in there and it's gonna be just executed because it's not sanitized yeah. as just simple text. If there's a user, there's a hacker that gain access uh, as like a user with whatever account in your administration area, even if it's just an author or a regular user doesn't have administration capabilities, but can delete a media element, can simply like delete an image, mm -hmm. could potentially inject SQL and could potentially delete your entire database or your entire WordPress installation with an SQL injection. Right, and, and not just deleting, but uh, I mean, if, if you can do SQL injection, you can then pull information from the database. And if you have a you know, a site with a bunch of users' personal information that that could be a really bad thing for somebody to get a hold of. Exactly. Yes, that's one of the many things that you can do with SQL yeah. injections, which is fantastic. But yeah, uh, also <laughs> like the latest version of WordPress 4.9.6 is still uh, open to that vulnerability. 
the user here that, that the developer that found out uh, wrote a blog post uh, highlighting how to fix and prevent that attacks, but because he doesn't know the entire core of WordPress, is not aware yeah. if that specific issue, so not being sanitized a specific variable during important operation, that vulnerability could be extended to also other sections of WordPress, which is it's kind of kind of shitty. Um, I like I think I don't know. It makes me think of the technical depth that WordPress has being a CMS mm-hmm. that it was like created 10 plus years ago and it's still backward compatible down to seven years ago so it's mostly procedural something like that it it's like it happens in more and more often and i'm not sure is it what do you think i mean yeah i mean i agree it's gonna happen and i i felt like the last couple of years wordpress has been really quick at fixing any kind of vulnerability that's come up so Mm -hmm. To find out that this was discovered seven months ago is kind of astonishing that WordPress hasn't patched it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I think especially with, you know, WordPress has always had kind of this, this uh, you know, this title to them as being like a vulnerable CMS, you know, like, oh, you have WordPress, like it's just full of bugs. It's full of you know, vulnerabilities. <laughs> yes. So for something like this to come out is is not great. Um, exactly. And it still powers like what thirty percent of the web now. So <laughs> yeah, thirty percent of the blogs out there are powered by WordPress. Yeah. Which, yeah. So to know that you know if you go to a website, there's a chance that it's ru- a pretty good chance it's running WordPress, and that you can inject SQL is is not good. It's still like kind of yeah. You need to have a user account inside. You can do these only from the administration area, so you cannot do it. Uh, as a regular user, as a, a regular oh, okay. um, someone that is browsing, but still, it's like that could happen. Like that could really, mm-hmm. like, even by accident, that could really happen. Even if you just like accidentally copy paste something in an input field while you're deleting things, that that text will be passed unsanitized to mm-hmm. your unlink method, and you don't know what the hell could happen. So it's it's kind of like a pretty big deal. Uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see when, what's going to happen. Um, yeah, I think we're done with the news. We can start with our main topics, talking all about Laravel and try to understand these kind of like weird, uh, weird folder structure. Uh, <laughs> how is, uh, just a random yeah. question, how is the folder structure compared to the .NET that you're an expert and you always use that? <laughs> um, you know, it's it's similar. Um, it's it's quite different in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to remember a lot of folder structures and stuff I've worked <laughs> in the past, because um, a lot of times, like in .NET, uh, you know, you can start with like a bare bones application. And it's it's a lot smaller than what you have in mm-hmm. in Laravel, and then you kind of add your own stuff to it. So, um, so Laravel out of the box, especially for a new developer. You know, you you run your new command, it creates a new application for you, and you open it up in your editor, and you're like, "Oh my God, where do I start?" Like, there are so many folders everywhere. Yes. Um, so I think it's for a new developer, it, it's probably very scary and very. And it probably turns a lot of people off just just seeing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's really only a few of these root folders that you really need to focus on. A lot of it is is you know just dealing with running Laravel as a whole and and the commands and everything that runs in the console. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, if you really just kind of look at the things that you need to run to build an app, 
uh, it's a lot less than you're really looking at. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And the first thing that a, a developer does, and I am I'm guilty of that. I did that too. <laughs> Especially if you're not an experienced developer, the first time you access Laravel, the first thing that you try to identify if you have a little bit of a PHP experience is trying to find that damn index.php. Because you think with your experience in PHP that everything starts from the index.php, right? Mm -hmm. Everything starts from there. So if I want to edit something, I just have to find the index.php. And then I start building PHP uh, files in that same directory. But no, you shouldn't do that. So the folders that you should absolutely ignore as soon as you start Laravel are mostly like, I'd say like three folders you can completely ignore that you will use later. Uh, the first folder that you can totally ignore is the public folder. That public folder is where Laravel and your uh, uh, Webpack compiler and everything, basically they compile your assets and they put it there and it's all automated. So you literally don't have to create any file in that. You don't have to edit an index.php. You don't have to manually write CSS files inside the public CSS folder. Public <laughs> folder is just for Laravel to spit out the code for you and that's it. The other folder that you have to absolutely ignore is the vendor folder. Don't yes. open that. <laughs> Don't open it. Don't try to understand what's inside that folder. That's just a collection of all the composer packages because Laravel is heavily, heavily built on top of composer packages. It's basically the entire framework. It's a composer package. So you, it's, I don't know how, how many megabytes of files is there. And Oh, it's massive. It's fucking, it's, yeah, it's gigantic. And the other thing that you can, as a starter, completely ignore, it's also the tests folder. If you're not acquainted with Laravel, you don't know what TDD is, like test-driven development, you can totally ignore the tests folder. It's For now, it's fine. Before, just like get used to Laravel. So we, we already excluded these three folders. And now we can start focus on the app folder, which Chris, what the hell is the mm -hmm. app folder? What's happening there? So the app is probably where you're going to spend 90% of your time yes. writing your app. Uh, it, it is what it is, what it sounds like. It's, it's the application. This is where all your models and your controllers and all your business logic and any classes you need to add in there for, you know, for whatever reason. I mean, it's, it all goes in the app folder. This is, mm -hmm where all that code is for your application is. Yes, exactly. And uh, the app folder comes with a bunch of predefined subdirectories. So we have like the console exceptions, HTTP and providers. The majority of the time you will spend inside the HTTP and then controllers, especially if you don't have to deal with any weird middleware. If you're doing something really basic and using the basic web routes or maybe the auth routes that comes with built in, mm -hmm. you have those middlewares, but we're going to talk about middlewares probably in the next, in the next episode, if you want to dive deeper, yeah. because they could be really confusing, but yeah, your controllers are inside the app HTTP controllers and you can create everything there. And as we said in the last video, in the previous episode of the podcast, you can use artisan, PHP artisan to generate your controllers. You don't have to go inside the controllers folder, right click, create new file, and then open PHP tags, write the namespace and blah, blah, blah. 
you can open the terminal and write php artisan make column controller and then the name of your controller without the php extension because i did that sometimes <laughs> i created the controller.php and it was creating controller.php.php <laughs> stuck it uh, <laughs> yeah and there's some cool flags that you can add to it where uh uh, you can tell it like, oh, this is a resource controller. So it needs to have all the, the CRUD endpoints. And that controller will be flushed out with uh, with functions for like your update and delete and your get and your put. Like all that stuff uh, is built for you. So you can just go in there and be like, okay, now I can just write the code mm -hmm. for what I want to happen when I want to delete and hit this controller with the delete verb. And uh, so just doing all that, it it gets rid of like, Oh man, like I gotta set my namespace. I gotta write class, you know, blah 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 controller, and I mean just all that for you. So, uh, using Artisan just makes developing so much faster. Yes, it's a, it's really amazing. And one thing that I learned down the line, I guess after three four months that I was using Laravel, I don't know if it's written in the documentation and I missed it, but the controllers folder you can actually organize your controllers in whatever folder you want because we are using namespaces mm -hmm. and, and uh, Composer autoload. So your controllers don't have to be all inside the base controllers directory. Like it's happening in the default installation, you have the auth controllers like login, register, reset, and blah, 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 inside the auth subfolder inside controllers. So you can organize your things. For example, if you have booking website, you're building a booking website and all the uh, checkout process, you have multiple controller. For example, you have the cart and then you have a license or you have the invoice selection or the invoice creation. All like these three things are all related to the checkout process. You could have a checkout folder inside the controllers and put those three controllers there and not have mm -hmm. like a massive list of controllers inside a yeah. controllers folder, which gets kind of like a little bit out of end and hard to manage. Yeah, and I think that this goes along with the whole, like like the command line tool is called Artisan. Like this is, you know, a, a framework for web artisans. Uh, so clean code is kind of the, the keyword for Laravel. And to be able to put your controllers in these subfolders like that to keep your code base really clean uh just you know comes out of the box and it works and it and it really does make it so much simpler when you are going back in to fix a bug or adding a new functionality to something that already exists uh it's just it's just super nice mm -hmm. it's it's really it really is super nice um one <laughs> last thing about the controllers whenever you generate a controller with artisan or you access a controller like a built-in controller when you install laravel the first time you already have all these use that are basically the required ones from a vendor composer autoload uh, you have all these use packages that are coming from the vendor folder from the composer packages so from the illuminate composer packages or the requests or the foundation all this kind of stuff that you definitely shouldn't touch because I yeah. I stumble upon a bunch of developers that for the first time they were like, oh, I have these use illuminate foundation, but I don't see the folder illuminate foundation in my Laravel <laughs> directory. So probably that's a mistake. And they were like removing those things because they didn't understand what they were for. 
and of course they were, their Laravel application was just like crumbling <laughs> and not using it. Those are all vendor packages coming from Composer. Mm -hmm. You should absolutely not touch those. Yes. <laughs> yeah, don't touch anything. If, it, if it's got Illuminate and it's already built into something that Artisan made, don't touch it. Exactly. Um, another amazing thing that I don't know if it's possible in other frameworks. So I know personally, like in CodeIgniter, if you're editing a specific folder structure in, uh, uh, for example, the structure of the controllers, you cannot create new folders and have new functionalities based on your folders. But Laravel, it's it's pretty flexible. So in the app and or the app HTTP folders, you can create other folders, like for example, the traits or some listeners and events. If you have to create some listener events, you can create those folders that are not there by default. And by using the usual namespace, use and wire it up with the specific providers that are inside the specific folder, everything works nicely and it doesn't matter where you put your file you can have your own file structure inside the app folder mm -hmm. which is it's pretty amazing like you're not tied to respect strictly the folder structure of laravel which is super handy i guess yeah yeah we have a very complicated laravel app uh that i use at my full-time job and our app folder is is you know nothing like you would see in just a like a demo on the documentation. It's, yeah. it's very custom. You know, we have different sections for different business logic and repositories and um, it's pretty complicated, but it all works great just because of namespaces and, and the using. And, um, and it's just, it, it's, it's just so easy to, mm -hmm. to, to build what you want and not have to be like, well, the framework doesn't allow it. Exactly. Well, why not? Like, why do I have to put this somewhere else? You know, it's, it's, it's just, just, PHP. just work. <laughs> it's just PHP. You should be able to write yeah. whatever the hell you want, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, question that I, I don't know the answer. Question for you. Can you organize mm -hmm. models in subfolders or all the models have to be in the app folder? They can be in subfolders because uh, we do that. We have like app models and then um we, we pull from different data sources so it might mm -hmm. be like app models reporting or app models yeah. um you know call center or whatever uh so yeah you can you can put them in subfolders inside subfolders and go as far as you want really oh that's great that's that's amazing that's fantastic let's not go too deep but just to recap, the app folder is one of the most important folder of Laravel, and you should spend a lot of time in this folder and try to understand why all the files are there, what the console is for, all the providers, what they do. And honestly, the providers, you won't really touch the providers unless you have to extend some specific functionality or Laravel by following the installation of a specific third-party composer package that you install by yourself it's kind of like mm, i actually like also personally i don't by myself edit the service providers like just like that i always edit the service service providers when i have to install something new or when i have to extend the specific functionalities by following the documentation so yeah, yeah you don't have to just like oh i don't know what to do with service providers don't worry it's just all written into the documentation <laughs> it's totally fine moving on after we got our models and our controller so we have sort of like the connection of the back end to a specific database how do we manage the database in laravel 
we use the database directory. <laughs> wow, it's so obvious. <laughs> yes, it's in uh, inside the database. Uh, you have uh, you have three three directories. You have factories, you have migrations, and you have seeds. Um, so uh, migration is uh, probably where you're going to spend most of your time here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the migration can be like you know you're starting a new app and you want to create a table for um, I don't know, a, a, you're building a library app, so it needs to keep track of books. I want to create a book table. So you'll create a, a migration that will create the table and you'll set up what columns you'll need, you know, the title, the author, uh, the ID number, mm-hmm. all that stuff. And that goes in your migrations folder. And then when you want to migrate it to, let's say, your production database, that's already set up for you and it just runs through and migrates it. It creates a table, creates all those columns. Um, and if there's ever a problem, you can actually go backwards and it has inside each migration, there's an up function mm-hmm. and a down function. So the up function does the migration. It creates the table. Uh, the down function for this example would be to drop that table. Mm-hmm. So if there was a problem you need to roll back, it'll automatically drop the table and you don't have to remember, oh, what have I done since the last time I pushed in production? <laughs> oh, oh, it was this table. I need to go and delete it. And oh, what, you know, what dependencies does it have on other tables? And um so your migrations are going to be where all of that stuff is is taking place. Exactly. And also in this case, please, please, for the love of God, don't create migrations manually, but use Artisan. Yes. <laughs> because migrations are ordered by date and ordered by a number, like an increasing number. And all mm-hmm. the migrations, they have absolutely, they need to be managed by Artisan because otherwise when you migrate to your service, so basically... In the migration, you write the entire database or that specific table structure that you want to create, and then you run the migration on your terminal via Artisan to install all those things or like to set up your database with all the things that you wrote. If Mm -hmm. you don't use Artisan to generate those files, your migration will not work. Most likely, your migration rollback if you want to roll back, as you said, and uh, remove mm-hmm. some stuff or fix something, so you need to roll back and fix and run the migration again, won't work at all. It's going to be like such a pain to manage migrations if you don't respect the structure. And another thing, please, please use always a one-to-one relationship that is not the proper way of saying, but use for one migration, do one thing. Don't create a migration and create 27 tables or edit hundreds yes. <laughs> different things with one single migration. Always, even if it looks kind of like stupid and you're going to have like your migrations folder that has a gigantic amount of files, that's totally fine. That folder will not affect your application. Like the amount of files will not negatively affect the speed or the performance of your application. It's just for you to keep your sanity. One file does one thing. It's way easier to manage and it's scalable and it's easier to read also. Be super eloquent in the name of your migration. Don't name migrations with random random names that don't represent what's inside the migration. Do you have yeah, any we, we, nightmare <laughs> nightmare episodes with migrations or something related to it? Uh no, I haven't. I, I've I've had uh I've been really happy with it. Um the only problem I have is uh is right now at work, we don't have any databases running locally on our machines. Mm. Um, but that is mainly because we're doing, 
doing a lot of work with a lot of data warehousing, a lot of big data. And oh, yeah. um, it's just too hard to like have a small version of that database on your machine. Mm-hmm. So um, luckily there's only me and one other developer. So if one of us is is actually working with creating new tables or modifying things, we'll tell the other person like, hey, I'm, I'm building some migrations. So if just just don't touch it for right now. Because <laughs> yes. uh, if we're both creating migrations and one of us hits the rollback, it's going to be like, well, mm-hmm. your migration doesn't exist here It's because it's on his branch and mm-hmm. um so that is a little issue but i think it's just because of the way we're we're doing things and it's it's very it's not typical what we're doing yeah yeah absolutely uh also another thing is the migrations that i stumble upon a junior developer doing that and i I, I, I almost lost it for like completely. <laughs> Basically, he was creating a migration, like a stupid, stupid examples that is not related to what he did, but it's similar. Uh, you create the user table and in the user table, you have the email that is a string and then you run the migration. So your database now has the users table with your ID, name, email, password, and, and all the other things. Then after running other migrations to create the uh, the order table or the whatever, just all the other things uh, of, of his application. Mm-hmm. He realized they wanted the email to be unique. So instead of creating mm-hmm. another migration to edit the user table and convert the email column to a unique value, he was going mm-hmm. back to the original migration that he created as first to create the user, changing the migration wiping out the entire server and rerunning all the migrations. Wow. No. <laughs> I mean that, that's definitely fine if you haven't released yet, if you haven't pushed to another to a server, but if yeah, if you've got already got code out there then yeah, just make a new migration. Yeah, and what he was know? doing because he had data inside that even if it was just test data, he was doing like an SQL export of the data and then an SQL import after. <laughs> So it wasn't even using the seeds or <laughs> right. it was like, that's this is insanity because he thought that running, like creating a new migration to edit a previous migration was a mistake. Like the migrations mm-hmm. needed to be clean, but it's, uh, I see. yeah, it's, it's, it's okay. Like it's, it happens yeah. throughout the lifespan of an application. It happens that you want to change or update your database structure on some tables that you already have there. Yeah, yeah, it really doesn't cost anything to write another migration. It's, you know, one more PHP file and just a list of migrations, so. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that was like when, when I saw it, I was like, what are you doing? Why? <laughs> Why every time you delete something? It's like, oh, it's easier. So I don't have migration errors. <laughs> that's, that's not the point. <laughs> uh, uh, so in the same database folder, we order the migrations that is the most important things. We have the factories. And the factories basically, uh, it's it's a directory that contains all the model factory to de- define uh, some uh, predefined data that you wanna fake and generate. When you use faker in the terminal, if you wanna generate fake data, you can use also your your factories that you define there. And that's really useful because sometimes, especially at the beginning of an application, you don't really mm-hmm. have data to deal with and you don't have really have data to test your application. And you don't wanna inject that data inside the database and then uh, test it and then wipe out your database. So you can use yeah. 
factories to just write whatever you want. It's just uh, fill up your database with fake data. It's fantastic. Yeah, and it has a lot of really cool uh, little properties. Like if you have users, you can tell it, you know, generate a thousand users and each one has a unique full name. And it yes. just comes up with all these full names and fake email addresses. And uh, it's, it's just a really cool way to, you know, build a lot of test data. Mm-hmm. And it, it's also great for unit tests. I, I use it so much for unit tests where I'm like, I want to have two users and I want to each one generate a comment and, mm-hmm. and I want to see if this person can edit that comment. Like, yeah. I don't have to write the SQL to insert all this stuff. I just tell it to do it and it does it for me. Yeah, exactly. No, it's fantastic for, for unit testing. I, um, at work, we use it uh, for... Uh, uh, we used it at the beginning when we were building our own, our like first version of the application. We use it to mm-hmm. fill up the database with all the licenses because we had like 50 different licenses, but we didn't have the actual data of the licenses, but we needed those 50 licenses in order to test the licensing system. Mm. So instead of using a seeder, we created the faker, like the, the license factory, and we mm-hmm. injected... 50 different unique name licenses with random number that was the price of the license. And that's it. In just like three lines of code, we had 50 fake licenses ready for us in the database to test. And it was like perfect, like no problem yeah. at all. So yeah, beautiful. And for and unit tests, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Just like migrations, you can generate uh, just, you know, the boilerplate factory with a with an artisan command. Oh, yes. So if, if, there's, if there's anything you need to do any, anything where you're like, oh, I, I need to like copy and paste this from another class, there, there's probably an artisan command to generate it for you. <laughs> exactly. It's like the same way of saying, oh, there's probably a WordPress plugin that does that. It's, it's the same. Yeah. There's probably an artisan <laughs> command that does that. Uh, and in conclusion, the seeds. Basically, the seeds, it's what it is. It's a seed. <laughs> it's like a bunch of different files that you can use to populate your database. Uh, especially it's really useful when you have a massive amount of data and you don't want to really convert your data into an SQL insert or you don't want to hire an intern to write that data and <laughs> manually input that data in your database. You can write a seeder and we use the seeders with a CSV because we have our licensing system. Or actually, we have our tagging system of the songs that our uh, boss <laughs> came up with that system in a spreadsheet and has all those like CSV export of these like hundreds of thousands of tags assigned to our library of songs. And instead of converting that into an SQL insert, we just exported a CSV and then we use the seeder to pull up the CSV, run it, manipulate it, and then seed our database with all those tags. Awesome. marvelous like yeah literally it took yeah. <laughs> one hour to build this heater and now every time we have to update our 140,000 tags is just like okay run the cedar done perfect <laughs> we got a new That's csv awesome. yeah no it's um it's really useful okay i think like the database folder is pretty much it like there mm-hmm. and i never created custom folders in the database folder i don't know is it necessary is it like actually uh I don't know what else you would put there. Honestly. Yeah, exactly. I, I've never done anything else. 
yeah absolutely so there you go uh moving on to the resources folder because now we have a database we can create our migration put our fake data or real data however you want we have our controllers and models in the app where are the views in these laravel application yeah so that that is one thing that threw me off at first um because i was expecting just a view folder on the root and that's not there it's it's inside resources um, so inside resources, you have uh, your views and you also have your assets, which are like your JavaScript and your CSS. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, the views are are in Blade format, which is um, like a Laravel specific. I, I think it was, I think he was taking a jab at, at .NETs because they, they have Razor views. So they have Razor, this is Blade. Ha -ha. Um, <laughs> That's amazing, uh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, and, and Razor really is like, it, it's like a shorthand way of writing PHP inside your HTML. You mean Blade? Um, <laughs> you said Razor. Yes, Blade. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, you, secret, you secretly love .NET, right? Like you, you're <laughs> trying to convince everyone with this podcast to switch yes. to .NET. <laughs> yes. That's right. I'm going to brainwash everybody. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, so instead of writing like PHP tags and echo this, it's, you can just use like a double mustache. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they have things like, uh, like these little at symbols. You can use things for like, if, and then you can do some PHP, you know, then you're going to spit out this stuff or, or a while loop or for each. Mm -hmm. So blade is, a like a, a shorthand way of having to like break into PHP and write stuff and echo stuff out. And, um, it's just like a, a really nice way of, of doing PHP inside your HTML. Yeah, it's it's really great. And one thing that Blade and the, this whole Laravel structure taught me is that if you start running raw PHP in your views, it means that something wrong in your controllers. <laughs> it means you're doing yeah. something definitely wrong. So your views should be really clean. Like the majority of your views should have actual HTML in it. And you should just mm -hmm. print the variables that you pass uh, via the controller to your views with a double mustache or double curly brackets, if you want to call it like that. But yeah, so your your views are really clean and you just deal with uh, really eloquent data that you don't have that uh, computation or all those functions and methods or you don't manipulate variables inside your views and you shouldn't do that. So even if the blades are PHP files, you shouldn't do anything PHP related in it you just you should just use the blade template tags and that print your data it's just to print the data mm -hmm. that you already manipulated or changed or whatever there are a lot of actually like at the beginning when laravel came out like blade was really simple had only if statements and loops and mm -hmm. pretty much that's it but now has all these extra tags that are like every time, every new version, they implement a new tag. And sometimes there are these guys on Twitter that they release small snippets of these amazing mm -hmm. tags. It, sh it makes the life easier. Like, for example, in the uh, default installation of Laravel, if you access the welcome.blade.php, there's a um, at auth tag that is basically... Yeah like saying if the user is logged print this or else prints this other thing instead you just have at auth and that's it it does everything here like it recognizes if the user is logged in or else mm -hmm. you can use another thing and you can write your own oh uh, yeah you can write true. your own blade directives right into your app so if there's something that you know maybe it needs to check to see like is the user 
an administrator user. You can make your own is admin uh, directive, and then you can use it in your Blade files. It's it's super easy to to build your own and and to use. Yeah, and if you build a really cool Blade uh, tag template integ- integration, you should definitely submit it as like a PR or like a pull request to. Uh, the Laravel Blade template because that's mm-hmm. the beauty of open source. If you create something cool, just share it so everyone can use it, and you will <laughs> find your custom integration in the next version of Laravel, most likely. Which is fantastic, <laughs> yeah. right? Uh, in the same resources folder, we have also the almighty assets folder where it contains and it should contain the actual assets. So as I said in the beginning, Mm -hmm. in the public folder, the CSS and JavaScript, or if you have images or stuff like that, you shouldn't touch those. If you want your styles and your JavaScript files, they should go into the resource assets folder. By default, Laravel, when you install it for the first time, comes with a view component sort of structure in the JavaScript Mm -hmm. folder. And it comes by default with a SAS folder, so SCSS. It's natively recognized also like Webpack compiles everything for you. Um, yep. Have you ever used uh, Laravel with other frameworks or with something like, for example, like React or something really old like Ember or Backbone.js when they were a thing? Uh, so I, I do, our, our work Laravel project is running on uh, AngularJS version 1.4, I believe. Oh, nice. um, mm-hmm. so yeah, so it, it it's we're running with Angular and it it works great. Um, can't complain at all. And and if you are a React fan, like like everybody is apparently, um, <laughs> you can uh, when you create a new Laravel project, there's a command in, in Artisan that'll actually swap out the view components with React ones instead. So um, so if you are like, oh, I'm not going to do Laravel just because it's it comes with view right out of the box. Like you can swap it out with React with with one line. It's awesome. Yes, exactly. It's amazing. You can also scaffold the application like with nothing in it, right? With like yeah. no framework at all. So it's just like simple PHP and you have like regular JavaScript and CSS that you can write there. Yeah. So if you just want to write a little bit of vanilla JavaScript here and there, if you don't really need a lot of JavaScript, then mm-hmm. that's definitely a, an easy option. Yes, exactly. Uh, and then the last folder is inside the resources folder that personally I've never used because we, I, I don't know, like I'm an English speaking country and I don't, I, I never <laughs> did a, a multilingual application with Laravel, but you have your uh, uh, language folder where it contains all your translations based on a folder. So you have your, uh, the short hand or like the shortcode of the language that you want to use as the name of the subfolder. And inside there, you have all the PHP files to manage those translations. Personally, mm-hmm. I know I never used that, so I shouldn't speak about it. But personally, it's kind of weird that it's not using the regular POT, like the language folders, like, yeah, the pot files. They're like more universally used. Uh, also, WordPress uses like the pot files to to handle translations. It's kind of weird that it uses PHP files to do that and returns an array with your translation. Yeah, I I honestly have never done anything with uh, multi language mm-hmm. support. Uh, I know that's very American of me. <laughs> All right, <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, pretty much every place I've worked at has been either for internal tools in in the country or for. Uh, like US based, like when I was at teacherteachers.com, it was uh, a job seeking site for uh, American teaching jobs. So it was only within the 50 states. So 
Um, so I've actually never dealt with any kind of language files. I, I don't even know what a pot file is. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it's all right. It's just like it's a is that a text file? I don't know. Technical. Uh, like being like from Italy, we always had to do the uh, English version of our website. Like every, especially if it was a public website, you needed to have the English version. Otherwise you don't exist in Europe if you don't write an English uh, translation of your website. And usually you use these language files that are like .pot extension. There are just, uh, I don't know if they return a sort of like JSON type of structure where uh, you have the location of the word, the path of that file, the line where that specific word needs to be translated, and then you have the original word and then the translation word. Basically, these files are this massive list of path URL word translated, path URL word translated, okay. path URL word translated. And you can have um, the good thing about this file, you can name that file. Uh, en.pot that means that file is for the English version that you can name it fr.pot French version it.pot is the Italian version so you don't have to uh, like manually change your application your application right. if has built-in localization feature in the like automatically grabs the file that matches the localization thing and if it doesn't if you don't have that type of file it rolls back to the default one that usually it's English so um, really useful, really easy to use. So I'm not sure why, probably it's because of the PHP nature of this framework. Mm -hmm. It's hard to manage, but Word, as I said, WordPress uses pot files. So uh, uh, WordPress is doing something better. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> probably that's what Laravel Dank is. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> that would be like the least exciting thing ever. Like, hey, you can do... Right. Better translations. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> okay. In conclusion, the the last folder we're going to talk about before the end of this episode is the routes folder, which personally was the easiest section to understand for me about Laravel. Uh, not only because the documentation is fantastic, but it, because it's really mm -hmm. linear. Like you don't need yeah. to do anything crazy is just one code like which uh, url you're visiting with permalink you're visiting and which controller should answer to that permalink of course you can do many more things but when you have uh, an application with the regular resources or uh, regular permalink structure you can do everything in just one line for per resource which is it's beautiful it's just fantastic routes it's really easy yeah yeah it's it's I mean, it is very well documented and um and really the two two uh files you really need to know is the api and the web which mm -hmm. uh this makes perfect sense you have the the web which is just your view routes you know if i go to uh you know slash about it should show the about blade and uh you'll yes. see the about page and then you have the api which is what it sounds like it's going to be your mm -hmm. restful api endpoints so when you're going to create a new user it's going to a, a user controller and 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 doing all the the controller stuff you have in your app folder but the actual route is just right there in your api.php file mm -hmm. um you can pass parameters in it's it's super easy and um and yeah i mean just the documentation it's it's short and concise and you can just read right through it and, and understand what what exactly it's doing yeah exactly it's it's fantastic all these things that we're saying and we're trying to explain it's 
basically are the stuff that are not as clear in the documentation as we wish they were because like the documentation can kind of like assume it's it, i think personally it's one of the best documentations out there for oh, yeah. any type of uh software or framework cms it's really easy to understand but i feel personally kind of assumes that you already as a user when you access that documentation you already know pretty much what is laravel how you should use it in order to build something it doesn't yeah. spend much time because i can understand that why it's kind of useless it doesn't spend much time in telling you this is where you should put your stuff and the app folder. Yes, you can create as many folders as you want. You can change the structure of the app folder. It doesn't matter. Like it doesn't tell you all these things that you kind of learn as you go on. But yeah, like other than that, the documentation is fantastic. And the routes folder, it's strictly or directly connected to the middleware folder that we skipped at the beginning from the <laughs> app HTML middleware because the middleware how can we say this it's like basically a gateway to tell your yeah. application which which routes should use based on what's happening <laughs> in the application so if yeah. your the the user just browses the front end the middleware returns the web.php route but if the maybe you want to have a protected section for example like an administration area or a dashboard that only the authentic authenticated users can access instead of wrapping your web routes around the auth middleware you can define a unique middleware that automatically points only when the user is logged or protects all the routes from uh, admin.php route Mm -hmm. all the auth authenticated users are passing there and all those um, directories and permalinks that you put in that route are protected by the auth middleware or the admin middleware if it's something new that you can create so there are like interconnected routes and middleware yeah middleware is kind of a weird concept and i, I kind of think of it as uh you know when you send a request from the client to the server it's kind of intercepting that request mm -hmm. and it can, you know, you can write your own middleware and you can do whatever you want. Um, it can, it can modify the request. It can reroute it to another place. Um, so it's kind of a, a weird thing where the thing is kind of sitting in between, you know, what's coming in on the actual request and what PHP it's actually hitting. It's, I don't know. It's kind of a, a strange concept to me. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's kind of weird. Like, I don't know if any other application used middleware. And the fact that it was kind of confusing for me at the beginning that you can, even if you don't strictly connect a middleware to a specific route, you can use all the middlewares in all the routes. <laughs> so you have mm -hmm. a route file, you can wrap or use a middleware only with a specific resource inside the web.php routes. It's not that you're mm -hmm. forced to use the middlewares just with a specific route PHP file. You can use, uh, you can wrap the auth middleware around the web forward slash, I don't know, admin. And then in the same web.php file, you can use the auth API middleware to, all together in the same file. It's not that you're strict in using one file per middleware. So. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it's kind of like always related to the fact that Laravel is pretty modular and it's flexible. It can accept your own structure. So you can definitely 
not define any new type of routes or any separated file. You can manage everything with the default files that Laravel offers you on the first installation, but you also have the option to specify a specific middleware and reroute it to just one unique routes file, which is it's pretty good. It's pretty flexible, I guess. I guess that's it. We we tackle like the majority of this uh, pretty like complicated folder structure, <laughs> but the more you use it, the, the less complicated it gets. And as you said at the beginning, mm -hmm. probably 90% of your time as a developer, you will spend inside the app folder, right? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, because once, once you set up your route, you set up your database, you know, the rest is actually building the, the application. So mm -hmm. all that logic, all the models, the controllers, all that stuff's going to be happening in the app. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, and it's great. Like probably, I don't know if probably we're going to take a break from Laravel, but we're going to do one last mm -hmm. uh, episode about Laravel by talking about all the other folders that we didn't touch and talking about why you should set a TDD and why it's important having like tests that they cover the majority of your application and not basically write tests for every single thing. And it's kind of like... <laughs> kind of absurd <laughs> and uh, mm -hmm. um, yeah. how to deal with a more front-endy kind of part of Laravel so how to deal with the webpack.mix.js which a lot of users they kind of get confused because it's not like a regular webpack file you can use Laravel mix that it's way easier than regular webpack and yes. um, <laughs> yeah as on all these other files that are out there like the .env file why you should use it why mm -hmm. you should have many .env files and not just one and how you can create your custom terminal commands or custom like kind of like yeah. artisan commands extend artisan to yeah. do the things that you want to do so, super useful. Yeah, that's going to be like a super cool episode. Um, but before concluding, we have uh, one question from a user that I cannot find anymore because I remember <laughs> I found this question last week from my YouTube channel and I, I thought, oh, this is a really interesting question. But then now I was trying to find a user back. So I'm sorry if you asked this question and I'm talking about it. I'm not giving you a shout out, but thank you for the question. And... Um, the question is, how difficult would it be to use WordPress only as a backend wired to a Vue.js or React frontend just with the REST API or GraphQL? Yeah, I think this is a, an awesome question. WordPress does have its own API built in, and I've, I've looked at it a little bit, and I'm planning, I've been trying to <laughs> redesign my website for forever and haven't made hardly any progress. Um, and I'm wanting the the blog portion of it to be kind of a, a single page application where mm. uh, you know it loads up the actual blog content asynchronously, um, and uh, and yeah you can you can hit the WordPress API endpoints and actually pull back all the content for posts or get a list of posts and everything, and then you can handle it however you want with the front end if you want to do Vue, React, Angular, Vanilla JS, mm -hmm. um, whatever you want there. Um, as for GraphQL, I've actually not worked with GraphQL, so mm -hmm. I can't really speak on that at all. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, you're kind of our, our WordPress expert. Have you done a lot with the uh, the WordPress API? I uh, yes, uh, I started like the first experience with a fully JavaScript front end was with uh, when I tried to create a WordPress theme based on Backbone.js, like a, the oh. good old age of Backbone.js. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
The problem at that point was like Backbone.js didn't have all these fancy things like the routers and the uh, HTTP request was like, you can only use Ajax. And sometimes we also recommended to use the jQuery post request because it was the most solid that you could use. Even like the regular, uh, like we didn't have fetch in a sink and all this kind of like fancy things, Axios right. that it's so useful. So it was really complicated. Um, building Promise. a front end, yeah, the promises, like all those things didn't exist, not even like a couple of years ago. Um, building the, the front end with Vue.js, I did it as an experiment. It's really, really easy. Uh, the complicated part is properly wiring the Vue router with the permalink structure of WordPress. The permalink structure oh. of WordPress is really good because every time you create a new a blog post or page, a new section automatically generates that permalink dynamically based on what's the title of the content that you're creating. And if you change that permalink structure, it's uh, it just like adapts by itself. It's just, it's great. The permalink structure of WordPress is great. Uh, with Vue.js, basically what you have to do is like, it's a catch all. Basically with the Vue router, catch all and fetch the result based on the permalink slug in the database. So something that WordPress does by default, you have to recreate it and you have to constantly check the database if that slug exists in whatever section and return the proper one. So that's kind of like an extra step. There are a bunch of yeah. GitHub packages of people that they released a pre-built WordPress view, like they call it. Uh, view WordPress or something. I don't know. I don't remember a package, but there are a bunch of things <laughs> on GitHub which are pre-made. But yeah, that was my uh, hardest thing. And um, there's something about the REST API, which is really weird. Uh, the REST API of WordPress have been around for probably five to six years, and they're mm -hmm. not part of the core of WordPress. If you want to use the REST API, you have to install a plugin. And the REST API, they haven't been used extensively ever. Like they've been around forever, but it doesn't exist a website that just uses the REST API. They've been used to like to, to handle small things. Now with the developers right. of WordPress doing Gutenberg, Gutenberg is the basically page visual editor, page builder of built-in of WordPress. It's only just based on REST API. It's everything is asynchronous. And mm -hmm. since they started using Gutenberg, they discovered more and more issues with the REST API that they yeah. weren't. I start using it. Yeah, they mm -hmm. weren't aware before because no one used the REST API extensively in order to find out those bottlenecks or various issues. So REST APIs, they have limitations. That's why we were expecting WordPress 5.0, I don't know, probably like almost at the beginning of the year with Gutenberg and it has been delayed and keeps getting delayed because they, they, there's so much thing to, 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 to be done in order to make it work properly. And GraphQL, yeah. I didn't use it with WordPress, but there are a lot of uh, amazing resources to test GraphQL. And there's also the Apollo that is like the interface to deal with GraphQL, which helps a lot. Um, so yeah, it's, um, I, I'd say it's doable. It's really, really doable. Mm -hmm. And 
yeah, WordPress has a, a pretty like easy to use backend, so it's not it's not a bad choice using WordPress as a backend. But yeah, the the hardest part for me was the permalink structure. That was a nightmare, and I didn't even yeah. deal with everything. I, I never even thought about it because yeah, I mean you can change it easily in the admin panel. So mm -hmm. you give us you build a, a a nice theme for somebody, and then they switch the permalinks, and everything breaks. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's terrible. Like oh, now I want all my permalinks to have the forward slash my name forward slash prefix to everything and crumbles apart in wordpress you can do it and it does that and it deals with that but yeah no uh that's that's kind of hard in laravel it's way easier because you have to build your router so you can deal with those mm -hmm. things and they cannot change the permalink structures by themselves yeah exactly mm -hmm. yeah we'll see i i feel like gutenberg is one of the first step towards a more uh, asynchronous front-end, asynchronous mm -hmm. JavaScript-heavy type of uh, interface. We'll see what the core team of WordPress does. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, I hope it's good. I hope they uh, they get it working well and, and it's performance-based. And mm -hmm. you know, I just, I just hope they do a really good job with it. Yes, exactly. I built a couple of small uh, blocks for Gutenberg. I don't really like TypeScript. I don't really like React, <laughs> like yeah. the structure. Yeah, it's either. so confusing. I don't understand it. It's like, why? Why? It's just like, why cannot be done in Vue or even like regular vanilla <laughs> JavaScript? Why? Yeah. And for TypeScript, I, I feel like ES6 is already kind of, you know, taking JavaScript and playing JavaScript a, a whole leap forward that kind of negates the whole reason to use TypeScript, you know, like the classes and everything. Exactly. Um, like, it, I mean, other than just the, the type safety, I feel like ES6 has everything that you need. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does. I feel the same. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Like JavaScript now, it's, it's going strong in like every week there's something mm -hmm. new. I don't know. Like I usually, I'm, I'm pretty good at keeping update, like I, my system updated and I remember up until a year ago, it was like a new version of Node.js was released once every six months. NPM mm -hmm. have been stuck on the same version for a year. And now <laughs> it's been like three weeks that Node.js passed from version eight to version 10 in three weeks. It was like <laughs> every day a new version of Node.js, a new update of the Vuekly, a new update of React, a new update of Apollo. Like all these things are like easier and easier to make and update and maintain, which uh, mm -hmm. like pushes the boundary of JavaScript frameworks, which is just really good. We'll see, we'll see. Yeah. That's pretty much it for the episode, I guess. Do you have anything to, to plug, anything to add? You can also just plug your things and say whatever you want. <laughs> um, no, I guess uh, check out my channel. I'm uh, planning on doing a live Fitbit development later this week. Uh, probably going to do a podcast next week when I'm in San Diego for an Esri conference. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, um, so follow me on my channel. Uh, follow me on Twitter. I, I post random things like breaking databases and um, and yeah. Awesome. And you can find this episode, of course, everywhere. If you're already listening, you don't need to find it in any other location. <laughs> but you can follow the podcast on the at NerdContinuity Twitter account, which was reactivated finally after the stupid mistake of setting the birthday to this year, which is like super silly <laughs> stuff, but whatever. And... Um, I'm trying to do, I'm planning to do a live streaming, like an eight hours live streaming where I will try to build uh, a PWA 
uh, or like I would say like more of a spa, uh, a single page mm -hmm. application of the NERD continuity website, all in Vue.js with no backend. So everything is going to be based on Vue components. It's going to be really, really simple. I'm going to try to build everything in eight hours and try to live stream the entire experience in eight hours. I don't That's know. Awesome. I have to find a way to deal with bathroom breaks because <laughs> I'm really scared. <laughs> Just uh, put your dog in front of the computer, let him code for a while. Yes, he's, he's got to build a website by himself. It's like, <laughs> oh, I've done. Okay. Oh, thank you. Oh, this is great. <laughs> while I was in the bathroom. Yeah, no, but yeah, that's that's an experiment. I want to build the near continuity website. And it's going to be it's going to be super cool. I was experimenting with the view CLI, which has all these built-in things mm -hmm. inside. It's, it's awesome. It's just magic. It's fantastic. <laughs> That's pretty much it for these episodes. Thank you guys for watching. And as usual, until the next one, happy coding. Thank you. <laughs> Did you find your catchphrase? <laughs> no, I haven't. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's the best. <laughs> Thanks okay. for watching. Thanks for watching. Okay, bye. <laughs>